It's Tuesday, January 17th. You're listening to the Tech Breakfast Podcast, the show that brings you delicious tech news and all the hot takes you can handle. I'm Ron Burgundy. No, it's episode 283, inching ever closer to that magic 300. 300 isn't a magic number, but we're almost there. No, it's not. How's it going, fellas? Going good. Nice long weekend. A little tired. Always. Fantastic. And we have a special guest on the show today. But it feels like a Monday. And there he is. So true. Darren's I'm here. I'm sorry. I couldn't couldn't wait any longer. No, it's Tuesday and it feels like a Monday. Mm-hmm. Yes, it does. Mm, my Tuesday feels like a Tuesday because I worked yesterday. So ah. got that going for me. I had a four-day weekend in Miami, so I don't even know what y'all are talking about. There you go. So. Wow. Here we go. Was it warmer yes, there? Amazed. So Thursday, Friday, it was amazing. Absolutely amazing. Saturday, there was a cold front, and it was kind of funny because it was all over the news. It was like dangerously low temperatures coming to Miami, like warning, warning. Like everywhere you looked, it was insane. It got down to 60. <laughs> like, it was like, what are you, what are y'all talking about? That's awesome. Is, there was like the, the wind was like, it felt like ice cold, but the air temperature was like 58 or 55 or something. It wasn't that bad. Nice. Okay, let's get right into it. We're going to start with Today in Tech History, as we usually do. I'm going to give you this one. The Supreme Court rules on home VCR, VCR recordings. This was January 17th. <laughs> you got to tell me the year. The U.S. Supreme Court rules five to four that private use of home VCRs to tape TV programs for later viewing does not violate federal copyright laws. This ruling opens the floodgate for VCR sales, changing the landscape of TV watching forever. What year? Nice. I'm trying to think of when the VCR was even invented. I want to say it was like early 60s, maybe. Yeah, I I was going to guess like 76. I don't know. 1956. 1956 is when it was invented. I'll give you that one. 56. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, oh, geez, 56. Maybe it was more like 60. So I'm going to go 67. I'm going 65. 70, 76, but. I'm going to go the Supreme Court ruling? Yeah. Taping TV shows? I'm In going 65. Okay. Still, you guys I, are all I, way I, off. First, Nobody wins first it today. That was 76, but no, somebody has to win it. Nope, you all lose it. It's 1984. You're too far away. Sorry. Oh nope, my gosh. not too far. That's funny. <laughs> 84, jeez. I remember recording or watching recordings of VCR uh, or TV taped on VCR that my grandfather used to do. Um, and he had he actually had a you know VCR to VCR recorder as well. So he was making copies of the tv shows that he had downloaded mm-hmm. one in particular stood out because it's one of the first ones i remember watching was uh empire of the sun one of christian bale's really early movies and it took me like two decades to realize that that was christian bale like well <laughs> after he was in the batman series and stuff like that it's like wait wait that's the same person he's so great <laughs> he's so great he's one of my favorite actors i love that guy it's interesting okay, well, nobody i, I guess minute it, it yeah. took whatever almost twenty years for that to come through. Could could VCRs? I mean, in my mind, VCRs were always. Doesn't it stand for like video cassette recorder? I mean, that Correct. was yep. It's original intent, right? 
Mm-hmm. So it was designed to, it took almost 20 years for this to become like a major issue is what I'm, is what I'm gathering. Uh, or it just took a really long time to work its way through the court system. And I'm sure some of this was like, um, I'm actually really curious now if there was an equivalent case or cases for um, audio deck, like recording radio mm-hmm. Um, cause you know, similar, similar problem, but obviously predated the video side. Well, if I think of Napster, which is the closest thing, you know, in my timeline of like a similar disruption that I'm looking this up right now, it originally launched June 1st, 1999. And it's, it's final release of the program is, a, is, is 2002, September yeah, 3rd. Quick. So, I mean, you know, they, I, mean, I remember, I mean, I remember basically from almost day one feeling like Ooh, yeah. this thing was a massive issue for the music industry. Oh, for sure. And, and so like it just, that whole thing feel like it, you know, it released was immediately a problem and was, you know, in some respects dealt with and, and, you know, it changed the music industry forever. Sure. But the the VCR thing, I, that's why I, you know I was thinking if it's if it's invented in sixty or fifty six, I was like, yeah, well, you know, roughly ten years, you know, sixty five. Mm-hmm. But it took him longer yeah, to catch on. I, I think a lot of it is scope and scale, though, too, right? Like the cost of VCRs that could be used to record were probably a good bit higher than ones that you could play with out of the gate, and then of course those costs came down. And then also, you can only distribute copied tv programming with vcr cassettes which sounds redundant now that i say it out, out loud uh but i guess it's not video cassette recorder cassette that's that's accurate sounds redundant well you, anyways you uh, you know the, the original price the original price of a vcr in 1956 this is the ampex vrx 1000 it was fifty thousand dollars so, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what I was gonna that say. That sounds I a think... lot like like the prosumer end and professional end of yeah. uh, projectors today, which I think is not many wild people because it doesn't take any any yeah the the co- I mean inflation into account. For instance, my gosh, that is insane. That's crazy. Anyways, but my point there being that even if you had your hands on the recording side, which probably came quite a few years after you know the release of VCR technology. Um, you can only make so many copies and you can only distribute them so far. Whereas Napster, especially because it was peer to peer and it, it was, you know, the way that it distributed content was very much like you downloaded. And then if they have internet, they can find you and get it. And so distribution was trivial at that point. You didn't even yeah. have to literally try on the, the seating side. So uh, <laughs> it was yeah. not only was it a big issue, but it was a, a big and immediate problem for anybody that was aware of it. It was just a few clicks away. Well, let me say this too, that y'all were y'all were onto something in the fact that in the 70s, Sony had started developing the Betamax videotape recording format. <clears throat> and it was in 1976 that Universal Studios and Walt Disney decided to sue Sony as they were developing more and more of these, right? Because of the uh, the concern about copyright infringement. Right. And then the Supreme Court eventually heard it the eight years later and then made a decision in January of 1984. So, yeah, it took time. It took time to get there. 
Okay, cool. Well, that was that was a little fun trip. I, the, the other thing I'll add to that. Mm -hmm. The other thing I'll add to that too. So, um, it is actually quite interesting if you look at that case compared to the Audio Home Recording Act of 1992, um, which you know when you think about it, it's kind of the same general idea. Um, and it actually does reference, uh, a, you know, basically it references some of the, uh, uh, decision that was made as part of the Sony versus universal case that you highlighted here. But 1992 is when it actually was, was ruled that it was, um, fair use to essentially record audio off the radio onto a cassette tape, because that's, you know, that's the early Napster days where you were, you know, making mixtapes yeah. for your friends and distributing them. Um, and I think we even did it with C's for years too. Uh, so just, yeah, it's, it's one of those things I, I had no idea it actually came that late, but, and mini disc. Yeah. I forgot about mini disc. Uh, but 1992 was, was when that happened for audio home recording. Don't forget about less, zip drives. Yeah. Less than 1% of my friends had mini disc, <laughs> but I did. Have mini discs dis <laughs> were incredible. They, they just they were, you know, there was a I technology that should have been far, far more adopted considering, I mean, it was timing for sure, but mini disc was so much better than CDs at the time. And it was a good bit until you had real useful MP3 players in my memory. Of course, all that stuff just moved so fast and it, it just never got the penetration because of it. But I was, I was totally into mini disc. Yeah, thanks I a lot. I actually had iPod. a recording deck. Right. <laughs> Wildly more dominant technology. Okay. Let me, let, me, <laughs> let me pull us into the future here and uh and say what's on y'all's minds? Latest in tech news. I don't want to go to the future. I'd prefer and just stay in the past. You just want to sit in nostalgia forever. AOL this morning. <laughs> yeah, let's this talk about AOL. The past, Everyone right? drop your aim <laughs> chat name. <laughs> <laughs> Which one? Mine was uh, mine was yeah. I had several. Mine was Psygeek. I think I, was one. I, I of had mine. one. <laughs> I had one that I kept. It was called Disconsent, and it was uh, it was actually the name of my brother's band, and I thought it was cool. So I took awesome. it. I changed the spelling of it because I didn't actually know how to spell it, and uh, and I said that it was mine. It wasn't. It was my brother's. <laughs> Every time I look at my teenagers in my house, and I'm like, why are y'all so like goofy? and silly and make terrible decisions then i then just he, the random memory of the they asked names me what aaron was like when he was a goofy what? teenager i said and then they asked me what aaron was like yeah when he was a goofy teenager <laughs> no but but literally very specifically when i think about how ridiculous they're being my random aim names pop into my head and say okay yeah i was once a teenager oh. making really lame <laughs> weird decisions as well <laughs> Awesome. What's there's a saying, and it's uh, if you if you don't cringe when you look back on yourself, you probably haven't grown very much. Yes, and it's they real. and the it goes on, and and you should be doing that every decade, right? Like you know, you whatever. If you're 38, look back at yourself when you were 28, and <laughs> so. But that's also why I love at the beginning of every year. And if y'all haven't done it yet, write down your goals or like what you hope to accomplish for the year, or what you're thinking about, or whatever. Right, just. Anything that like is just sitting in your brain, write it down and just put it somewhere. Come back the following January. And it's a really easy way to see how you've grown over the year or maybe haven't grown and then it's a wake-up call. Okay, uh, moving on. Mr. Darren Zook, uh, was there any Apple announcements today? I can't recall. 
Oh, a few little ones. Just some okay. just some minor bump minor bump updates. Nothing crazy. Um I mean so they, yeah, everybody release. Go ahead. M2 Pro. Yeah, so M2 okay. Pro, M2 Max, next generation chips. Um, and I here's the thing, and this is something that I've struggled with since they really announced the first M2 with the uh, MacBook Air is is it really next generation like they're not really doing anything from a new chip technology perspective there it's you know it's still five nanometer just like the m1 was um but obviously they're doing a few things in terms of you know packing a few more cores in there packing some additional you know gpu horsepower in there so uh m2 pro essentially is uh, the new the new kind of well it's not baseline chip but call it middle of the road chip in the M2 series as of right now anyway uh, 12 core CPU which is up from a 10 core CPU um, in the uh, uh, M1 and then a 19 core which is kind of odd GPU uh, which is up from 16 cores um, in the uh, M1 Pro yeah isn't it <laughs> i thought it was a little strange do you, do you think there would be better consumer sentiment if they just said updated m1 chips and and like starting on this date when you buy an m1 it's going to have these new features instead of trying to pitch think, it as the next gen no i don't i don't think that's an appropriate way to go about it I don't m1.75 <laughs> right <laughs> I, I don't i don't think of it like that because it, it's too hard to draw these lines i mean i will tell you it, yeah we don't have a process node improvement but you know there's there's so many other things that go in to to driving these architectures i mean for for many years back when we were around the uh 32 nanometer days i mean one of the biggest issues so it, one thing that is interesting that most people don't understand is that if you look at the clock speed of a processor, what that basically is 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 a power draw measurement that the that the hardware is doing with the operating system. It's saying, "Hey, I need to do this thing. How much power will it necessitate? Physical power in order for me to complete it complete it in X amount of time, or how much can you give me?" And so the the measurement is based on the stage processes within the CPU that then generate a certain amount of power to run through those stages to complete that action. And so back in that 32 nanometer day, you would see Intel processors hitting like four gigahertz, which at that time was insane. I mean, that was absolutely ridiculous. And they were terrible. And the reason why they were terrible was because they had a very, very long staged process, meaning let's just think of this as steps that you have to take to get somewhere. It takes 32 steps to get from point A to point B with a four gigahertz process, but with a or processor, but with a two gigahertz processor, it's only 14 steps. That would have been the equivalent of a of an AMD processor versus an Intel processor when Athlon first released back then. This is probably twenty three years ago, called around two thousand. And so, in this particular case, and I don't know, I haven't looked at the you know depths of this of the of the M ones or anything along those lines. So I don't know the different pieces that that they've done now. But they could have shortened the stages. They could have increased the efficiency of the clock. They could have increased the efficiency of power because they're probably only getting maybe one third of the power that gets pushed through that processor is actually being utilized for processing. So there's there's sure. a lot of different things that they could have pushed through. Add more transistors, et cetera. Yep, yeah. that's exactly yeah, what they Yep. One oh, okay. major one is like protocol support or instruction set support that they may drive on. So like different variants of like 
Bluetooth support or even uh, HDCP or the you know whatever the varying protocols for video management, et cetera. So there's there's a lot of yep. other things that this drives that they could have improved. I'm not saying they did. I just I'm assuming that there's more that goes into it. And so yeah, it's probably a little markety to call it M2 if you're expecting the same jump that we got when we went from um, Intel to M1. Right, that's what we did. Right, we went from Intel to yeah. M1. Yeah, yep. Yep. that um, was a major, major thing. Right, right. that was a major yeah. thing so for a myriad almost... of different reasons. Yeah, yeah, for, for sure. sure. Yeah, yeah. So I but mean, I they they advertise they advertise the M2 Pro uh, as forty percent faster in graphics processing than the M1 Pro. Uh, so they're they're basically calling it a forty percent bump with those three additional cores, and obviously next generation GPU for them, you know, as part of the chip. Okay, that's um, fair. And so, yeah, and and then my the, general the rule of thumb. Sorry, just to just a piece on that forty percent. My general rule of thumb is if it's greater than 30% improvement, whatever it is, fine, call it a next generation. Yeah, yeah. And that, I agree. I think that's fair. But that's only for the graphics processing. The the mm, okay. CPU processing is about a, is only about a 20% bump. So, you know, all in. Yeah, you in 1.75 then. Want. Tyler nailed it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. so too. Uh, well, there's um, this is where like, other I appreciate... I, I was just yeah, saying really quick that they they might be in once again I don't know if they've done this but they're it's not so linear these days like it used to be like I understand yeah. the idea of a thirty percent I'm actually proud of you to be completely honest Buley by saying thirty percent is your marker because I've had to explain to people in the past that like holy crap we just got a thirty percent bump in performance <laughs> by the way that was a big deal year to year fifteen right. years ago. That's and so the fact that every now and then I remember there was a there was a specific line of graphics cards from NVIDIA that released at one point in time. It was a 50 percent bump. And then someone was like, oh, I don't know, man, 50 percent. Like, I'm really thinking it should be like quadruple. It's like, really? Where no, did you dude. come up with that number? Like, <laughs> this is insane. Yeah. And so 30. So 30 percent on top. Yeah, of I think it should trillion? come with a pre Porsche. Yeah, thirty percent on yeah, top exactly. of two trillion is huge. That is a huge yeah. advancement. <laughs> Absolutely huge. And then the the thing here though is is that that linear progression is less of what we see these days. Usually, it's more of things that happen kind of over on the side, like AI explicit processing for you know the imagery or video or audio, yep. whatever it is. Like Microsoft with their SQ three chip thingy thing that they're doing on the surface devices it's an arm-based processor similar to like an m1 their actual general purpose computing which is what we traditionally think of when we think of the cpu is not very good but their ai processing for video and audio is incredible and so if you go get the intel variant it's much better of a experience for general purpose processing but it physically can't do some of the things with say microsoft teams that you would be able to do on their crappy sq3 and so there, there's a lot of that that goes on too that i think has to be talked about once again i don't know the specifics of this processor but i do think that the, there are a lot of complexities in what we value from one processor generation to the next is it's not just general purpose computing overall anymore i mean heck even for right. this one there might be an instruction set increase or, or or add that makes their translation layer from x86 to arm i don't i forget the name of the the term for that for that they rosetta use. Uh, rosetta thank you so the rosetta process that could make that 
55% more efficient, even though the processor is in more fast. So that, perfect, that, those man, are the things way. that I look for um, from that. Makes sense. Yeah. So, I mean, um, in addition to that, so, and I think you were asking about the number of transistors. So in the M2 Pro, uh, it's, and I don't have the original number, but the M2 Pro consists of 40 billion transistors, um, which is 20% more than the M1 Pro, um, which is still absolutely absurd. Billion? Uh, I mean, come on. Shouldn't it be trillions with a by B. now? You would hope. You would hope. Um, and it has the ability... So the M1 Pro, like the M1, I'm sorry, the M2 Pro, like the M1 Pro, uh, can, has the 200 gigabytes per second of unified memory bandwidth, twice that of the M2, uh, and up to 32 gigabytes of low latency unified memory. Now, that's just the first of the two chips. The second chip, which has 67 billion transistors, is the M2 Max, um, which is 10 billion more than the M1 Max, three times that of the M2. Um, and let's see, supports up to 96 gigabytes of unified memory, um, in a laptop, which is absolutely yep. absurd. I need it. You want to, um, you want to take a guess? <laughs> so say that number again, how many billion? Uh, 67 billion transistors in the M2 max. <laughs> okay. Take a stab at how many transistors were in the original eight bit Nintendo. Oh, Five. <laughs> I, I have no idea. Hundreds statistically, like, and by by the range that we're dealing with, it's zero. That's actually accurate. Like, you could say zero. I was gonna say it's only yeah thirty five hundred. You really could. Yeah, there you go. So I said I said hundreds, which I ironically thousands. But at that point, when you're comparing it to what is eighty seven billion or sixty whatever, it yeah everything from like zero to 10 million is practically zero, zero <laughs> like, yes, it's exactly. all a random error <laughs> it's <laughs> awesome <laughs> yeah. okay. what was the number in the um, billion for the for the m2 max yeah 67 billion 60 so just for comparison i recognize it's only one piece it just one a very strong gpu i'm actually looking at just the one like i have in my computer uh, 3080 Ti from uh, from Nvidia, 28.3 billion, and that's uh, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, a very very strong GPU in desktop PCs. Yeah. So that's hold on, Apple, okay. Apple put some doing, stuff in there. So how many how many original Nintendos were sold? Was it more than 19 million? All of them. <laughs> well, I'm doing this crazy math where okay, if we take the amount of transistors in that M2. <laughs> Divided by the amount of transistors in the original Inten Nintendo, it's How many a nineteen. Does it take it's, to make an yeah, M2 nineteen million, <laughs> like nine nineteen point one million. Better so get I wonder to if collecting. like all of the Nintendos <laughs> ever sold equals the amount of transistors in one M two. <laughs> all right, so <laughs> bananas. Go ahead. It is Our bananas. new standard no, so unit of measure is going to be how many Nintendos is it? How many Nintendos? <laughs> <laughs> Um, I so yeah, but I, I think <laughs> <laughs> the the most the most astounding number to me was 96 gigs of RAM in in or not RAM but yeah, you know memory wild in laptop. in a laptop is just absolutely absurd. Uh, and then that that same M2 Max that can support up to 96 gigabytes of of um, memory 
uh, also will support up to 38 GPU cores, um, which I think is up. I forget what the previous number was. I think it was 32 was the high. So now we're up to 38 in total. Um, so, yeah, I mean, some some solid numbers and, and alongside, you know, obviously both of these uh, new processors, they now have or I should say it's not really even a processor system on a chip. Um, they they also released uh, two updated Mac models alongside it. Um, and so the first one is the new Mac Mini, uh, which features uh, the M2. So it goes from the M1 to the M2. Uh, and the M1 actually uh, started at $699, which I don't know that I realized. Um, the M2 actually drops $100, and now you can pick up a Mac Mini for $599 uh, with the base M2. And then they also now feature a Mac Mini with the M2 Pro, um, which is a which is a nice bump. Um, and I've got some more thoughts on this that I'll share later. But I mean, it's it, it is a nice bump from that standpoint, and and gives you something that sits kind of middle of the road before you get to the Mac Studio, which has, currently has the M1 Max and the M1 Ultra in it, um, which is again for just absurd horsepower, um, but. The one thing that I did find interesting here too is Apple um, in the, what I would say very unlike Tim Cook era of Apple, they actually discontinued two Mac mini models um, as part of this rollout. So they're no longer offering the M1 at a lower price point. So the M1 Mac mini is, is now discontinued. Um, and also RIP the Intel Mac mini. Um, it is officially dead as of today. So there is mm. no more Intel Mac mini as of today. So the final remaining, yeah, the final remaining sure. Intel Mac is the Mac pro. Oh, so there is still, Oh, Oh, the final rem of, of the whole portfolio of the entire Apple lineup. The final remaining Mac that has an Intel processor in it is the Mac pro, which is a Xeon chip. It's, some high end. Well, I'm not sure how high end that Xeon chip is anymore, but yeah, right. Uh, well, it I sounds like problem, I own a piece of history with my uh, with my M1 <laughs> Mac Mini. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. Um, but the one thing that is interesting, and, and William Lamb actually brought this up. I saw he posted it on Twitter. Um, so the the Mac Mini lineup is kind of odd because it, it doesn't really make like a great home lab story or anything like that. Because technically, the highest amount of RAM that you can put in it is 32 gigs of RAM, um, which is you know again not necessarily ideal. You would hope for like the M2 Max to land in that. That way, you could hit 96 gigs of memory in you know a Mac Mini in that form factor. Um, but obviously then they'd be cutting into profit margins with the Mac studio and they can't have that. So, um, the memory configurations for the Mac mini are just a little odd. So the M2 has the ability to go to 24 gigs of Ram, uh, the M2 pro up to 32 gigs. So it's not a big Delta between them, but obviously you're getting some more GPU horsepower there and, and that's helpful. Um, and then the other the other big announcement today was was uh, updated MacBook Pros, and basically it's the same thing there. Um, the only real big difference um, that that I will call out, and Russ, you know, you and I had a little exchange on this earlier. Um, so for all of these new M2 Macs, unlike their M1 um, predecessors, they now support uh, HDMI 2.1, um, and so they're actually supporting 8K displays. Um, up to 60 hertz and then 4k displays up to 240 hertz refresh rate um, and there's various uh, uh, you know various uh, number of displays I think you can do 
it's I think you can do multiple 4K displays at 240 hertz, but only a single 8K display at 60 hertz. So um, yeah, some nice some nice bumps they, there. They they must be supporting the full bandwidth of 2.1. That's kind of been a, a, a sticking point with me. The the HDMI 2.1 spec has taken, in my opinion, way way too long to roll out across the industry. To give you an indication, I have a LG C1 OLED TV, which is the 2021 model of it. And it's it was one of the most high-end TVs, probably one of the most bought TVs because it was like the best TV of the year or something. It's The OLEDs are incredible for one thing, but one thing that was interesting about that was, was it also allowed for higher refresh rates, like native ones, not the interpolation type that like inserted fake frames into stuff and gives you that soap opera effect. It it actually would run at 120 and it had HDMI 2.1 so that you could functionally do things like variable refresh rates and games and which has also beneficial now for movies. I mean, there's all sorts of different things that you can do now with matching the frame rate of your TV of which technically you could do with HDMI 2.0, but only up to 60 Hertz. But I'm, I'm glad this is finally rolling right. out. Frustrating thing though, is as high end of a TV is that it or the one was it only supported up to 40 uh, gigabytes per second or gigabits per second. Right. Right. Like 48. Oh, or I'm sorry. It only supported up to 40 instead of the 48. My C2 in my office that I have here, which is just a smaller one, it has the full spec of 48. What's fascinating here is the Xbox Series X, uh, not to confuse Bewley on the episode. Don't get me started. <laughs> the Series X1S X. <laughs> it supports up to 40 gigs, and the PS5 only supports up to 32. So people can talk about all of the power of various consoles all they want. If your HDMI output physically cannot send the data to your TV, you're not going to be able to support the features that you want to be able to right, support on right. your TV. So it's it sounds to me like based off the idea of being able to do multiple 4Ks at at 240 or whatever it is that they're supporting the full spec, which I, I give them a, a two thumbs up on that one. Yeah, I mean, and it's it's interesting because so the spec itself, HDMI 2.0 is 18 gigabit per second. The HDMI 2.1 is 48 gigabit per second. So um, yeah. I think the thing that's interesting here is is that you know we we've, we've known for a while now that Apple is essentially leveraging the Thunderbolt channels to to ultimately accomplish this, and the Thunderbolt controller, I should say, to accomplish this as well. So it likely means that for for the M2, or at least the M2 Pro and the M2 Max, not the M2 itself, they've actually added a Thunderbolt controller and basically dedicated it to HDMI 2.1 um, because it requires that because Thunderbolt 4 by itself cannot exceed 40 gigabit per second. So more than likely, in order to hit that full 2.1 spec, they're likely dedicating a controller and maybe using it for other things too, but dedicating a controller um, specifically to that that HDMI 2.1 spec. So it is interesting. Um, I still go back to, you know, you certainly have to have the use case for it. Um, you know, just having it is cool, but having it for no reason doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> so I, you know, I fall on the side of if you've got a use case for it, there's certainly some, you know, some value here that, that it adds. Yeah, I think, you know, where there's in, in look, I, I don't know. We don't, no, no one knows. That's not true. No one that we know knows, unless Daniel does. We know what their plans are for things like 
mixed reality, AR, VR. Maybe they have aspirations of getting into more gaming types of workloads with how powerful their chips are. It's conceivable. It, it could be done. You're going to have to be able to send bandwidth to external sources very quickly. And one of the things that laptops run into a problem with is being able to do that, do it efficiently, get the heat out, et cetera. They just can't match their desktop counterparts. One way to get around that is by using external devices delivered over Thunderbolt interfaces to be able to yeah. do it. I mean, this this opens up a wave of opportunity for Apple to go design. I mean, let, let's just call it what it is. Very expensive, but things that the people who want to buy them will buy types of devices. Because if you take an external enclosure for a graphics card, the enclosure by itself, even from you know, random manufacturer you've never heard of for a PC is $400, you know? So that's without a graphics card in it. So there, there is a lot of opportunity for, and who knows, maybe they wouldn't do that. Maybe they do it for something else, but it's like the external use of a laptop over these interfaces is actually a really interesting next step of peripheral that hasn't really been fully explored. It's it's only been done in, in a limited space. So I think that that opens up the possibility of new experiences or or you know accessories that can be delivered. Yeah, I agree. So one final one final note on the on the Apple thing before we close it out, just because I always find this kind of interesting. So what is a fully spec MacBook Pro? gonna run you um all in and and hopefully you guys haven't cheated yet but let's start with the 14 inch model so 14 inch model um fully fully decked out um with the m max which is 12 core cpu 38 core gpu um 96 gigabytes of unified memory and eight terabyte ssd any guesses i'm gonna say 4900 i'm going 5300 Ooh, check you guys. I was, I was going to go a little lower. I was going to go 45, 45 Well, you guys are, you guys are all on the low side. Um, so previously what? the M yeah, <laughs> the M one, the M for a 14 inch laptop <laughs> for a 14 inch laptop, Jeez. the M one max previously, um, fully maxed out, which was 60 M one max, 64 gigs of unified memory and an eight terabyte SSD, uh, came in at a whopping 5899. Oh. Um, the the 14 inch MacBook Pro with the M2 Max, 96 gigabytes of memory and eight terabyte SSD now clocks in at 62.99. Goodness, Ooh. I'm you curious. Can, what's buy, worth you can buy a decent penny. car for that. <laughs> you can buy a decent car <laughs> so, for that. Any guesses? Any guesses on that delta between the maxed out? Jeez. Keep in mind they they can the 14 inch because of the the uh, Apple Silicon they can now have identical specs in the 14 and 16. So want to take any guesses between that 62.99 uh, dollar price point and the 16 inch version? Golly, tell me it's still under seven grand. Yeah, I was gonna say like 68 or right up against seven seven grand because. You already maxed out the memory. You could obviously do a larger SSD, but there's no reason not to do the same size SSDs. <sighs> like you're really all you're changing is the screen. It shouldn't be a lot more. Well, and battery, I guess. It, but again, in, in my opinion, it should, be, it should be cheaper, in my opinion. But I'll say because <laughs> <laughs> it's heavier. Yes, that's it's hilarious. Like, so so you, it's are, in a larger you frame, are. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, so you are all you are all actually on the high side. So the previous M1 Max model, fully decked out, 64 gigs of unified memory in that one, and an eight terabyte SSD, ran six thousand ninety nine dollars. So six zero nine nine. The new one, the 16-inch with the M2 Max and 96 gigabytes of unified memory, clocks in at 64.99. Yeah, 6500. I mean, wow. it's pretty okay. impressive if you think about the difference in inflation. Like they're choosing to go down in price. I mean, it's stupid expensive, but no one else did that. I mean, yeah, I, it's sort of tongue-in-cheek, right? When you talk about these prices, but you meant what did you say the price of the M1 Mini was? Uh, the or, M1 sorry, M2 mini. M2, M2 mini, mini. yeah. So the M2 mini is now five ninety nine. I mean, I I don't have the base model. I have the one just above it with the sixteen gigs of RAM. At least that's what it was at the time for mm -hmm. the M1. And I, I'm pretty sure I paid seven or eight hundred. Yeah, I think know? I think if I recall correctly, that was eight ninety nine. Yeah, that's, so that's you may have paid right. a little less from a reseller, but yeah. Yeah, I think I think that's probably right, which means, you know, they kept their pricing similar or went lower, which uh, even I recognize the margins are high, but still good on them. Whenever well, and I mean, else. the other side of it, too, you know, you mark you talk about inflation when you think about, you know, so if we just look at it, comparing the two 16 inch models, the M1 Max and the M2 Max. Um, you're talking about a essentially a four hundred dollar price difference for that additional four hundred dollars. You're getting four more GPU cores, two more processor cores, and 32 gigabytes of additional memory for that $400. It's not so, bad. Yeah, when you think about it from that perspective, it actually doesn't seem like it's that bad of a deal. But it's I mean, still expensive. I'm not, I'm not going to pay 6500 bucks and go buy that thing. Oh goodness, no! Yeah, me. And and for the record, for for all of our listeners that wonder what's Darren doing as the Apple aficionado, um, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm keeping it afraid. real. Yeah, that's what not I'm doing. Yeah, <laughs> getting it. to. Oh wait, no, because yeah. that's insanely expensive. <laughs> yeah. Okay, um, let me ask y'all an off the wall question. Unless there's something else you want to talk about. And it's a I have one lab. more thing, but go ahead. Okay, go for it. Okay. Uh, you really want to go there? Man, I'm just going to take it down a crazy road um, All right. that has nothing to do with anything we've talked about, but I'm happy to All talk right. about whatever you want to talk about. You're the guest, man. What do you well, want? I, got, I just have one more thing because this one this one really ticked me off when I saw it. So I think It, it grinds your gears. Yes, oh, we're going to move to what grinds <laughs> Darren's gears segment. <laughs> so a like uh, little over a week ago, Twitter broke for you know 80% of the world that uses a Twitter client that actually functions properly. Um, and then there was the rest of the world that didn't know anything broke because they used the, the Twitter native client. Um, but Twitter officially um, has basically came out with a statement acknowledging the fact that yes, we intentionally broke it uh, mm -hmm. with a tweet at 1249 PM today that basically states as follows. Twitter is enforcing its longstanding API rules. That may result in some apps not working. <laughs> which, to, right? To which uh, Marquez Brownlee immediately responded, "What are the rules?" <laughs> oh, the, like, the 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 replies to this are hilarious. Like there yes. are some that are absolutely side splitting. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's like I mean, this is this is 
I was really hoping I had a lot of high hopes for Twitter with Elon's takeover. I didn't like the road that it was headed down previously. I think we all knew that there was a lot of battles and struggles within Twitter. I was really hoping that maybe, you know, giving Elon, um, you know, a fair chance and, you know, being a, being a glass half full kind of person, I'm like, Hey, it's going to be okay. It's not going to come crashing down. Like, like everyone said it would, um, mm -hmm. that hope is quickly dwindling now. Um, and, and I, I like this tweet, it is very Elon in its nature. Like it makes me wonder if the Twitter dev account, you know, Elon wrote this tweet for them or yeah, something like zero that. Zero information. Yeah. Yeah. Zero information. Nothing whatsoever. And, you know, and it's, it's, it's an acknowledgement that's not an acknowledgement and it's, it just feels very dirty to people that have used Twitter for years, you know, as a platform for building community and, you know, actually leveraging it for, what it was once and you know then obviously became commercialized and had to exist as an advertised advertising supported platform totally get that but it just feels really dirty and it, for me it's definitely changing the way i think about my my twitter engagement longer term yeah dude same and not to mention when did they break it six days ago yeah it took them six days to come up with these you know whatever 17 words that just said they're enforcing longstanding rules and it yeah. may result in some apps not working. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, and, and what are Weak. the rules Weak. to MKBHD's yeah. point? What are the rules? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely weak. seems like maybe no, the I've, rule uh, to do with supporting the monetization <laughs> policy, Twitter. That's uh, it's, yes. I, I have no idea. Yeah, I it, actually, if it wasn't a rule, it should be because then you can blame everything on the rules. Well, and, I mean, Elon, December 2nd, go. transparency is the key to trust. Okay, yep. Elon, if that's the case, where's the transparency? Right. You wake Maybe up to a new Twitter every day. Every day, <laughs> something is different. told you what to expect. <laughs> I mean, okay, I'll say one positive. Now when you click on, well, we haven't ever, we haven't talked about the fact that there's now a For You page, which was basically original Twitter. What? And now they've added a following page, right? So you can swipe right, and now you get just the people you're following because they were giving you basically everything that like if you liked a tweet tyler and it was somebody that i wasn't following it would show up in my timeline and it would say tyler liked this maybe right. you want to see it too that's the for you page so they've at least uh, given some transparency up there never announced anything about it i, I just woke up three days ago and saw it but at least now too the extra like lists and pages that i have on my mobile version show up on the desktop version so now I can go specifically because what I've always wanted to do is be able to go to the the list I specifically have about this about a sports team, and I wasn't able to do that then. But dude, and I don't even know how to put it into words. Like I used to just be on Twitter all the stupid time, and now I never think about it, never want to be on it. It's it's like a it's a forceful thought to say, oh yeah, I should probably maybe go do some engagement there or whatever, and it's just lame. I don't know. I hate it. You okay. Know, it's it's interesting, I guess, because TweetDeck is working. Well, Twitter owns TweetDeck. Because there are a lot of people saying that. Oh, oh well, TweetDeck didn't break, but that's because. Oh, I, I I I was unaware of that. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah. I did not know that. Did did they always? Yeah, yeah. It TweetDeck is just a different interface for Twitter. Oh, okay. That, that, well, that Twitter makes... owns. Yeah, that makes yeah. way more sense. I've I've never I've never known that. I thought it was I thought it was something third party. I don't actually use it very often. If you can't tell by my response, I, mean, I probably haven't used it in years. But I don't even use the Twitter client on my phone. It it's uh, 
I use it through a browser. So yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We talked about that. I have a call here in like 11 minutes. Um, I want to touch on something else. If y'all don't have anything else on this piece. Go for Uh, it. I don't know. And I do feel like they need to share (laughs) more appropriateness of, you know, more information like what yeah. rules were broken and i mean i don't know if twitterific is a business or not I, I i get the idea that it might be ios only i searched for it on android earlier today and it wasn't there yeah but this is their business and it's been built off of you know you know some form of you know twitter api that was publicly available you know yeah. i feel like Tweetbot they, was great and now it's you know, yeah Yep, right. I broke a bunch of yeah, other yeah. things a long time ago too. That was that was tough. Okay, so engage your minds here on something totally different. How would you define teleportation? Interesting. Of what of matter? No. Yeah. <laughs> Just anything. Yeah, teleportation of matter. Whatever. We'll we'll start with that one. Uh. I would say that it's inference of something in one form across distance to another place, but at the so speed does it, of light. Yeah. So at the speed of light, does it? Does uh, it even require close that? Close to it. Or is it instant? I, that's that would be my de- definition. Oh, instant. instant. I see. I, and I well, had never thought about this. Does it does does whatever teleports actually travel through the space, or does it just well, it can't, disappear it's, it's and then reappear? Than the speed of light. Well, there is a concept in a docu series called um, Dragon Ball Z Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, they have this they have this concept called instant transmission. <laughs> and it is effectively a teleport. They Definitely. just like put their finger on their on their nose and think really hard, and then they just end up somewhere else. Uh, that to me is teleportation. So I'm going to say it is the instant transmission of something from one place, yeah, to the next. But I'm without gonna going through there. the medium doesn't doesn't, but ceases to exist in its original spot. Because mm-hmm. if, it, if it still exists in both places, then it's a copy. Yeah. Uh, and it doesn't go through the medium, though, right? If the medium is instant, then I guess that that would count. Well, I mean, it doesn't go through the substance, whatever. Like, if it's in the air or if it's in water, whatever. So, anyway, 19, the 1971 yeah, I, fantasy film uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory completely steered me wrong. Right. right? He had the he had the little thing where uh, he was moving a chocolate bar yeah, from one side to the other. It broke into little pieces. Yeah, and it like moves across the top of the screen, and then it reappears, and then they right. do it to one of the kids or whatever. But it's still teleportation. Look, let's let's break this down a little bit. Like your your the portation part is moving from A to B. Tele okay. would be would be doing it. What electronically? What's the what's that prefix? You know, in like Latin, probably just across distance or something like that. So, so moving something across distance is teleportation. Yeah, but it's technically teleportation. No, but it's not though. It's not. (laughs) It's it's because because of the portation part. Yeah, no, it's by it's by what's called psychokinesis, which specifically defines that it's without crossing the intervening space, which I'd never thought about before. Mm. Well, that so so yeah. Teleportation like, is like, defined uh, as like not going through the medium. 
not it's inter- only not teleportation. If I can right now just decide to be in Bewley's house and then I'm there, and then decide yeah. to be back in my house and then I'm here, like exactly. But no, no. But there's an there's an interesting place. piece there though. It's not it's not that you decided that and then all of a sudden at the speed of light or whatever it is you want to say, your matter moved through the air to my house and through the walls or whatever. It's just that you disappeared there and, and appeared here instantaneously, right? So what's That's the what I mean. is it apparitions? What it, Harry Potter got it right then. <laughs> okay. They had a different yeah, word right. for it. So the I'm reading this. I think was is the one. It's it's it is. It's just boom. You know, you're you blink out of existence on one side and blink into it yeah. on the other. They don't describe the the mechanism of it at all. Yeah, which, which is um unfortunate because it's always more fun. Yeah, what's the X Men character? Um, what's her name? Um, oh, uh, not Rogue. Um, whoa. Oh, the oh the Nightcrawler. He does. Yeah, that. Nightcrawler. But yeah, or oh, that's a guy, right? And then somebody yes. else had teleportation. I think several of them had teleportation. Anyway, so there's this article that came out in discovermagazine.com last night. Uh, and it defines teleportation at the beginning. And I didn't realize this. By sending all the information that describes a single particle and passing it to another, the second particle takes on all the characteristics of itself. It was talking about um, sending quantum information from one part of the universe to the other, specifically without traveling through space in between, which I hadn't thought of. Uh, or hadn't recognized right the speed of light yeah and so now what they were able to do was demonstrate the ability to do energy teleportation which i'll drop the article in there but the fact that we are starting to mess around more and more within the quantum particles and be able to test out things like this that we've never been able to do before uh, i thought was pretty interesting don't have enough time to get into all the ins and outs of it but if you want to join the uh, tbp chat t.me slash tech breakfast. I'll drop the article in there, or I'm sure you can Google it. But the fact that quantum networking is becoming a thing, the fact that we just moved energy by teleporting it from one particle to another, where it didn't travel through the space, but they connected these particles. One of them was energized, and then it's no longer energized, and now the other one is energized. It's it's mind-blowing. That's wild. Anyway, wanted to share that. That is, that's cool. I'm, it's a sleepy Tuesday, so I can't think of any of the words that are coming to my mind, but I wonder if they're taking advantage of certain states and certain quantum, uh, well, obviously. Right. Are, I, I agree that I, I, there's things I want to say about the dual state nature of, of quantum physics that, that plays a role here, obviously. Yeah. That they're, you know, manipulating um, either before, after, or during whatever it is that's happening. But, it's a it's a fascinating concept. I mean, to be honest, Billy, when you first asked the question, I almost I almost jokingly said, "Well, quantum computing is teleportation." Sure, uh, <laughs> but, but then I but then I thought about the you know the Schrodinger's cat scenario, um, and and if you if you exist in two different states and the observation of it, I thought about what does the that observation do to the state and whether or not that original whatever form it was originally in actually caused. And then that collided with my own definition of it can't be a copy. So I'm sort of <laughs> curious as to, as to what think, that all means. But it's, I haven't it's seen an the article yet, though. Same. But I, I don't know. Yeah. That it's, I don't think it's superposition that they're taking advantage of. There's a, a and I'm just it, blame it on Tuesday. But there's there's another property where you can sort of code. <laughs> well, it's quantum. It's quantum particles state. that are entangled. 
right? It's, it's and entanglement, can... and that's that's the word I couldn't come yes. up with. But you can, they have been doing testing, and there's been speculation about uh, how this. But the one of the problems, and actually, I'm really interested in reading this, is that if if you have a, a like entangled quanta and you have not looked at them yet, therefore you know they they still have that sort of super because I think there is some uh, some of that in this as well. But if you move them physically apart, they don't change their entanglement state or or under certain right. circumstances. That's true, and so you can change one, which changes the other, uh, and and it it does so you know instantly, right? It, it's not. There's no it, which which deviates from how we define physics, right? So this is a rule breaking sort of mechanism potentially if it's over distance. Um, so I'm, I'm really curious to see what it was that they did and over what distance. I mean, any distance is impressive, right? If if you have actually transferred information, which is another problem that they have with uh, taking advantage of some of these quantum properties, that's pretty cool. Um, yeah. But then if they well, also have moved something faster than light could have possibly moved it so even over you know, a centimeter being able to move something faster than like fiber could carry it for instance would still be groundbreaking science which is fascinating yeah, it is it, it and it is it's quantum entanglement within a, a a quantum system so they have energy that's constantly fluctuating all they did was say hey maybe we can exploit this at the quantum level where we have these natural energy fluctuations and then what they were able to do was extract energy from another part of the system without energy traveling across the space in between where the, orig the origination of that energy was elsewhere in the system. And no, no energy was gained or lost, right? So it held true to the, the first law of thermodynamics, et cetera. So pretty cool, pretty cool. And I have to jump, I have to jump to another call. Um, yeah, I mean, let's just shut it down. This is good. We got our okay. got our Apple stuff in, got a little sciencey stuff, and we yelled at Elon. It's a good episode. It's always yeah. Good. <laughs> Yarr. But that brings another Tech Breakfast podcast to a close. Thanks for joining us, Darren. Always a pleasure. Thanks for the Mac updates and uh, all, all the fun thoughts that you had that you brought to the table. It's been a fun Tuesday. Thanks for joining us, listeners. Thanks for subscribing. Bring your friends, and we'll talk to you soon. Later.